The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gillen. Hey friends, welcome to Afternoons with Mike. It's always a pleasure to meet with you here this time of day on the Shepherd Radio Network. I'm privileged to get to meet a lot of people who are doing wonderful works for the kingdom of God. And one of those that is with me today, uh, he is a CPA. He is a consultant. He lives right now in Georgia, but he has a lot of interest and a lot of business in the central Florida area. As a matter of fact, he's on the board of the Christian Chamber. You hear us talk about the Christian Chamber very uh, often here on our program. We love the people there. Uh, at the chamber, and that individual that, of which I speak is Robert Fullerton. Robert, welcome to my program. Oh, thank you very much, Mike. It's really great to be here. So we're talking today uh, over the phone. You're up in Georgia, and uh, we're, obviously we're in Central Florida here. Uh, but you're very familiar again with our area down here. Uh, first of all, tell us what's the weather like up there, man. It's nice and warm today. It's it's probably in the eighties, uh, and um, for for a guy from the Caribbean, that sometimes is cold. But today, it's, <laughs> yes. it's not bad. <laughs> and that's true. I mean, uh, I think any of us would like something in the eighties right now. We've been especially hot in oh, Central yeah. Florida the last couple of days. So, man, I, I you know we're waiting for those uh, cool showers to bring us some lower temps. Man, that would be great. <laughs> Robert, um, how is it that you came from Trinidad to living in the U.S.? Oh, so I came to the U.S. in the early 20s. So it's about 2020. 2020. And um, I'm sorry, 2020. What am I saying? It's, it's 2000, the year 2000. And I was brought here by a company that had a large construction uh, project going on. I was actually hired at hired as a CFO. And my job at that point in time was to manage all of the funds coming into the company and being disbursed to the real estate construction projects in Brickell Avenue in Miami. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I was brought over here and my wife and my kids, we relocated and we loved it and we decided to stay. And that was South Florida. A lot different. Yeah, a lot different than up here. And certainly a lot different from Lawrenceville, Georgia, man. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is. Lawrenceville, Georgia gets cold in the winter, and and that's no fun for me, unfortunately. Were you raised in a home that was a believing home? No, I was not, actually. Um, I became a Christian at the age of 19, um, which is around the same time that that I started my career in public accounting just out of high school Mm -hmm. uh, with a UK firm of chartered accountants. And I actually got saved in the car park of EY uh, in Trinidad. uh, And that's where I made a decision to commit my life to the Lord at the age of 19 in EY, which is one of the large accounting firms uh, in Trinidad in their car park. In in the uh, parking lot then? In the parking lot, yeah. yeah. As we would say here, I love the car park. That's the uh, British uh, influence right (laughs) now. I like that. That is so great. I've been over there in London before, and I love the different, even though we 
We we share a common language, kinda. <laughs> yeah, kinda. <laughs> kinda, that's for sure. Boy, that is exciting. How a, a person's life can be changed, as you said, in a car park, in a parking lot. When you suddenly come and you pray, and not only is that prayer over, but your life is changed, and things yeah. that would have been there in your life, they're over too, and something yeah. brand new begins. Yep, yep. Wow. What were the biggest changes after that that you remember experiencing in your life? Ah, that's a long time ago. But what I definitely remember is that I got saved in the disco era. era. So at that age of 19, I was partying a lot. Uh, most of my friends, were we were going to discos every Saturday night. And, and when I got saved, it was a, a very... Um, remarkable, noticeable transformation because I began to focus a lot on church. I got saved in a in a very small church that was growing, and I got involved in helping. Started basic ministry, sweeping the floors, packing away the chairs after service, and that sort of stuff. And my life just became focused on on being in church and learning, being in Bible study, prayer meeting. And, and developing a relationship with the Lord and, you know, developing a relationship with, with Christians. And it was a very remarkable transformation. And my family were a little concerned at first that I had gone crazy. Mm-hmm. And, but they eventually realized that I was serious about it. And, and my dad, who was not a believer per se, I, I, I think he believed in God and he, he grew up around Christians. So at my wedding, my wedding day, when I got married some years later, he sort of remarked about that transformation that I had gone through. And, you know, he said how much he appreciated what God had done in my life and so on. And, and that to me was one of the best things I've ever heard my dad, uh, you know, say about me and, and in public forums. So it was a really impactful transformation for me after I became a Christian. Now, so many people who have maybe similar uh, conversion experiences, but they grew up in a church, they knew about God. How is it that at uh, age 19, you've never been a Christian before? Uh, How is it that you became one who shared the gospel with you? So a close friend of mine, uh, we actually used to party a lot together. He got saved. And then he brought this, um, this cassette player in those days, with a tape by the guy by Hal Lindsay, ah, uh, uh, things to come and the way to escape. I'll never forget it. And oh. he, Hal Lindsay talked about the end times and the, the late great planet what, Earth and all of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And when I heard that, it shook me to the core because for the first time I realized, wait a minute, you know, he Hal Lindsay was able to cite proofs out of Scripture that put that that scripture was being fulfilled, prophecy was being fulfilled, and he tied it into actual events that were taking place. And that, being an analytical person, that sort of got my attention. And after hearing that tape, you know, my friend asked me if I wanted to give my life to the Lord. And I said to him, nah, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for the church thing. And and I left it there. Mm -hmm. And a couple months later, I was at work at EY. I had just started my my career as an apprentice the the british system is one of apprenticeship and i had an issue in the office with one of my managers who had accused me 
falsely of some in, uh, improper conduct with a client and it was a joke. He was making a joke, but it upset me so much that I went into the car park and I said, Lord, if this is you, I hear you. I'm ready now because I don't want to face life and these sorts of issues on my own. And oh. that's when on my own in the car park, I just prayed that sinner's prayer. And I said, Lord, come into my life. And I immediately, I felt a sense of peace. I went back upstairs to the office and I said to the, the partner of the firm that I was leaving because I could not, you know, I didn't want to be around an accusation like that. And he said, no, this guy was just joking. And, you know, they, they solved everything. They, the guy retracted his comments and, and that was it. God brought, used that experience to bring me to him. Oh. And, and it's something I tell people all the time, you know, as, as a business owner, owner, God uses the business to get to the heart of the business owner sometimes. Sometimes the stresses and challenges that we face in our businesses as Christians Christians is really God's way sometimes of getting our attention because we've lost focus sometimes. And I think in my case, that's what happened to me. I, I sort of put off that decision to accept him when my friend was there inviting me and right. God brought my, got my attention with that, that experience with my manager. So, you know, you think about a prank. I've never been one that really liked pranks like that, or you're pulling something over somebody uh, I, I've just never got it, maybe the way some people enjoy it. Uh, I have had uh, a few experiences with it, but this has to be one of the best turnarounds, one of the best outcomes that I've ever heard from a prank. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. At the time, it was no fun because I was distraught. I was really upset. Yeah, you took uh, him for his word. You thought he was telling what uh, what was the way he really felt. Yeah, actually, he, he said something had occurred, and I knew it had not. So I was there trying to defend uh, myself, and he was there laughing away with some of the other managers, and it was really awful for me. But when I look back at it, I think it was God's appointment to get me to that place of saying, Lord, I surrender. Oh, uh, that is wonderful. <laughs> and you go from that now, and, and God really does a work in your heart immediately, you notice a difference. Even the things you desire to do, they change. You get yes. involved. You start serving. Isn't serving, don't you find that to be one of the uh, really important aspects of a new believer's life, that they get involved in something and start putting their hands to work for the kingdom? Don't you see that? Yeah, I think it's absolutely essential because what it does is that it bonds us to not just the people that are there to support us in the Lord, but also it bonds us to that relationship with God because God serves. He, Jesus came here to serve. He said, I didn't come to be served, but I, I came to serve. And once we have that spirit in us, it actually cements the relationship, in my opinion. And a lot of times for people who are struggling to leave the old life behind, because sometimes we come into Christianity and there are issues in our past that sort of reach out to us and try to grab a hold of us. Getting into ministry in whatever form and serving, even if it's just, you know, parking the cars or, mm -hmm. you know, cleaning out the, the meeting room or whatever it is, that helps you make that transition and it, it, it binds you, it, it connects you to the people and to the ministry, which I think is really important. You just used the word I was getting ready to say, connection. That is yeah. it right there. I mean, we need to be connected to each other. Uh, I think of uh, the verse that we read about often in the Bible. It says that I'm the vine, you are the branches. 
And, you know, the branches must be connected to not only the vine, but it's so helpful. That's the teaching of the Bible that we are connected one with another as well. And we have to have those connections, both vertically and horizontally in our lives in order for us to be the people that God wants us to be. Yep. Yep. I agree. Oh my goodness. That's a great story. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what life was like in Trinidad. Well, in Trinidad, at the time that I was there, life was was fantastic because Trinidad Trinidadians are very friendly people. Um, we are very happy. We're, sometimes we are a little too happy and a little, I'm not serious enough about serious things. But generally, at that point in time, Trinidad was a very safe, very happy, um, very friendly place. Um, the country became oil rich at around the time in the mid 70s or early 70s, we they discovered oil and gas in Trinidad, which has been the main export product. And that has a lot um, resulted in a, in a lot of development of the country, a lot of buildings and a lot of industry and and that sort of stuff. But it has has also had some negative effects in terms of crime and people's expectations. So the Trinidad that I left 20 years ago is changed. It's become a little more, a little more serious places. There are issues that need to be resolved, and I think the governments of the day have not, if I may say so, they've not done the job that I would have liked to see them do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping that things improve as the country improves, as the economy improves, because they became there, there was a time when the country lost its footing in gas and oil and they're trying to revive the whole industry at this time and with gas and oil prices being where they are now um, i think there's a very good chance that some of the resources that are needed to rebuild the infrastructure and to get social services and that sort of stuff working will come back so i'm really hoping and praying that things begin to improve but in, when i left trinidad it was paradise as far as I was concerned I was leaving paradise to go somewhere else mm-hmm. and, um, but it's it's a great place to visit um, there are lots of nice people Trinidad Carnival is famous worldwide and um, you know and, and we really know how to enjoy ourselves sometimes just a little bit too much now Trinidad and Tobago is how it's listed in the the Wikipedia here. So is that like kind of like uh, the same situation between the Dominican and Haiti, a shared countries, or is it all one country at that point? So it's Trinidad and Tobago. As as we Chinese, we pronounce Tobago, Tobago. Uh huh. Potato, it's... potato. Okay. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's one country. It's it's two islands. One. Um, country, one government, one system, one process. You know, I really didn't know the whole governmental thing about that. And I'm also very surprised to find out an island in the Caribbean strikes oil, strikes, that that strikes me as strange right there. Does that happen often? No. So Trinidad is just about uh, 20 miles north of Venezuela. And so we are the southernmost country in the Caribbean. We're really down south. And that oil and gas belt that serves Venezuela as wow. well as Guyana, there is oil and gas in Trinidad's territorial waters. And it's, it's mainly from that that we get um, the resources to run the country. 
you know, not, I'm thinking about how difficult it would have been to build up the, the refinery or, or the drilling or whatever. When you think about having to transport all of that machinery, all of the, the materials used in that to uh, get that oil extracted from the ground or from the uh, from the island. Uh, that's that sounds like a lot of work and hard to pull off. Yeah, I think what happened to, to us is that we discovered oil um, before most people in the region realized that there was significant oil there. And Trinidad was able to build its own refinery. So a lot of the oil that passes through Trinidad is already refined. Uh-huh. And, and so we have significant infrastructure, um, which, has been, which was built in the 70s. And a lot of it now needs to be upgraded, I would imagine. But the infrastructure is there to not just extract, but to refine and ship the oil. Isn't that uh, something? Yeah. And, and one of the things that we also have is, is pitch asphalt. Most of the roads built um, outside of Trinidad, we, we have something called the pitch lake, which is a huge uh, pond of asphalt that continuously produces this stuff, this tar-like stuff that is used to uh, build roads. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the roads built here, not a significant amount, but a fair amount of roads built here in the United States were built from in the early days from asphalt that came out of Trinidad. Isn't that something? Yeah. Wow. Did not know that. There's a lot here I'm learning, uh, <laughs> in, in, including the pronunciation of the uh, island. <laughs> we, we forgive you. We, we know someone who's never said Trinidad and Tobago before you pronounce it the way it's spelled, Tobago. But most Trinidadians say, you know, that's not the way we say it back home. Well, the, yeah, there are a lot of words and a lot of parts of the world that that, that holds as well. My guest today is Robert Fullerton, and he is with... Uh, he has a nonprofit. We haven't talked about that yet, but uh, he's with a nonprofit called Kingdom Business Builders. And we'll be talking about that nonprofit uh, and his CPA work and consulting work when we return. This is Afternoons with Mike. You're on The Shepherd. On the phone with me today is Robert Fullerton. Robert is a consultant. He is calling today. We're on the line from. Uh, his home, his area in Georgia, it's Lawrenceville, Georgia. And uh, here's a guy from Trinidad originally relocates to South Florida. And I, I guess you jumped from South Florida to Atlanta. Now that had to be a pretty big transition for you. Yeah, it was. Um, So what happened is that the company that I worked for in 2008, when the financial crisis um, hit the United States, the company that I worked for uh, got into financial difficulty. And like most companies, the senior executives were let go. Yeah. And I had a decision to make. Um, it was either to go back to Trinidad, where I had opportunities, or to stay here and see what God would do. And I decided to stay. Um, there were some other issues taking place at the time that I had to address. But basically, the decision to stay here was making a commitment to develop my own practice, my own CPA practice, because I had always dreamed of doing that. Even while I was in corporate, you know, as a corporate executive, I would say to myself, one day I want to be on my own, doing my own um, business and my own consulting. And that 
gave me the opportunity to do it. Uh, I was a Georgia, I still am a Georgia licensed CPA. I, I did that some years before. And my wife and I decided to move here to uh, the Lawrenceville area so that I can actually practice as a CPA in Georgia. And that's what caused that transition. And we felt at the time that where our kids were, and you know, where they were in school and, and their own development, um, that this would provide a good opportunity for them. So we moved in 2012, I think. Yeah, 2012, we moved and relocated and I started my CPA practice here. Wow. And that has grown into RVF Consulting, LLC. And uh, the consulting part of it, it sounds like you really enjoy that part, connecting with other people, helping them, giving them suggestions about what they're to do. Yeah, so most CPA firms do a lot of individual, small CPA firms do a lot of, of taxes and bookkeeping and accounting. But most of my career was spent in corporate management mm -hmm. as a controller and as a CFO. And so that's where my experience was. And what I found is that while I can do taxes and I still do a fair amount of taxes, my real preference is to do consulting, to work with owner-managed businesses and business owners to, to get them to the point of sustainability. And a lot of the disciplines and techniques and processes that I learned as a CFO for large organizations, I bring that now to bear on smaller organizations so that, that we're able to impose financial discipline, business strategy, uh, financial management in, in, on small businesses, appropriate for small businesses based on the principles that large organizations use to mm -hmm. generate their success. So, so that's kind of what I do. Um, I have clients here in Georgia. I have some in Central Florida and as well as in the Caribbean, back in the Caribbean. Um, so from time to time, some of the businesses there would call me and particularly prior to the pandemic, I was traveling a lot to Trinidad, uh, working on large projects there, um, mainly turning companies around. Uh, so that's an area of practice that I that I do, or I used to do before the pandemic, which is business turnarounds uh, in the Caribbean. And, um, and I, I really enjoy that because it gives me the opportunity to not engage, not just engage with the business, but with the business owner. Mm -hmm. And then I found myself wanting to focus more on Christian business owners because in the early part of my consulting career, my consulting business, I was working for any business owner, I would work for any, I, I did a lot of work for insurance companies in the Caribbean uh, and helping them with their financial issues. But then I realized I, my preference really is to work with Christian business owners because it gives me the opportunity to use the skills and the talents that God has put in me to help his people develop and to help his business owners and entrepreneurs, you know, achieve their purpose and and improve the financial position. And, and that's, that's what transitioned me from consulting as a business to consulting as a ministry. Wow, that is really exciting. And I, I just love it when God opens a door for a guy like yourself that um, you're doing this one thing and there's a side path that he has for you and you jump on that path and 
just follow the lead of the Lord and he's leading you in this way. Now, one thing that I have to just comment on, because it's, it's almost unfair to the rest of us in the U.S. When we hear somebody like you with this delightful uh, accent that you have, you've <laughs> managed to keep that in all of these years of living in the U.S. I congratulate you for that, man. It's so now your clients must love it, right? They have to comment on that. Yeah, so initially you get, when I speak to people, you know, for the first time, they, they're wondering, what is that accent? And sometimes <laughs> people are not sure of some of the things I say, because, for example, I grew up saying issue. Uh-huh. And we say, we say issue. Yeah. So there, there has been some things that I have learned to say the American way, just so that people will understand me better. Uh, but most of my clients seem to enjoy my Caribbean accent. Oh, yes. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's it's been fun. I mean, I I enjoy working with uh, American business owners and and dealing with issues here. And thank God, you know, I've been accepted. I've been welcome. I've been made to feel a part. Uh, particularly in places like the Christian Chamber. I, I when I started at the Chamber um, in 2017, Mark Goldstein. He was the president then, and then yes. he moved. He moved on. Mark is a really great guy. And when he moved on, Crystal Parker became the president. And she contacted me and said, you know, Robert, I'd like you to join the board and I'd like you to be the treasurer of the chamber. And so even though I sound different, I may look different, there is that common, that common business interest and that common ministry interest with a lot of the, the people that I make connections with here. Well, I think it's delightful to listen to you, man. I love it. And it, it's just great. I always uh, am reminded of what happened to me on a missions trip that I took to the Bahamas one time. It was one of these construction things that I found myself being in a group of people that I was the only one with any construction experience in my background. I worked with my dad, but the things that they had me do, uh, quite frankly, were a little on the unnerving side. But um, I was doing the best I could do. We were building something that I don't think, according to U.S. code, would have made code. I don't believe it. <laughs> honestly, I, I don't believe they were they were actually building their own rafters, chiseling out the little points where it sets up there. And I was the connector of the two rafters up two stories on a very shaky uh, scaffolding. And I was the guy that had to hold up both sides of these rafters while they kind of pinned them to the sides. And and they, they were Jamaicans that I was working with, and they were wonderful. But at one point, I answered them, Robert, and I said, yeah, man. <laughs> 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 and no. and that was exactly their reaction too. I was just answering in in kind, I thought, but boy, <laughs> they absolutely loved hearing this uh, this American dude that sounds like he's from the Midwest talk to them and, <laughs> and say yaman. <laughs> now, Mike, once you can pronounce it that way, you can apply for a Jamaican passport. <laughs> so I think you need to go to Jamaica and get a Jamaican passport because once you can speak like that, man, you, you're good to go. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, yeah, I think about that often. I, I, it was a moment of levity in what was otherwise a moment of near death. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. I, I was feeling, uh, I know it was the power of the Holy Spirit that helped me walk out there in that middle of that scaffolding and hold those things up. And I was like, Oh Jesus, I am nearer to you right now. than than, than I really, than I really thought I would want to be right at this moment. So Lord help me. 
It was it was a funny time. Boy, you've got this um, this thing now. Tell us about the dream and how the dream became a reality for a nonprofit. Okay, so I started doing, even while I was in corporate management, I started to speak a lot at churches and to individuals and to businesses about a biblical perspective on your finances. And that I developed that in Trinidad. So I would be invited to churches and I would talk about budgeting and needs versus wants and look into scripture to see what God was saying about our finances. And I would teach that whenever I had the opportunity. And what happened was that somewhere along the line, I began to realize that Christian business owners needed to hear, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike, needed to hear not just the biblical aspect aspects of, of business, but mm-hmm. also financial support. They needed to have information that would help them to run their businesses better. And I decided to get involved in that in terms of preparing material that would focus on purpose, principles, and profit. And as I began to teach more on that, a, the, the, the idea came, you know what, you really should be doing this in a more structured way. And that led to me thinking about forming this nonprofit Kingdom Business Builders as a means of focusing on the needs of Christian entrepreneurs, providing not just biblical, but, but financial information to help them succeed. Wow, that's really great. You know, that, uh, that is one of the aspects that I've loved about the chamber is the camaraderie that people see, but it's more than just fellowship. There is this actual building going on underneath or laid on top of all of the fellowship, of all of the meeting, you know, I, and, and it's so different. Uh, at least I've, I find it to be so different than what would be the typical worldly uh, networking environment that businesses go to. When you're there and you have a greater purpose that your life is all about, greater than business, that makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I personally believe that God has called Christian entrepreneurs to be a force for him to represent him in the world of business. When Jesus said to go into all the world, the world then has was different to what it is now. It, it was mainly a geographic place that people would travel to. Now we have worlds that are based on relationships and connections. So we have the world of business, we have the world of politics and different worlds. And and our ministry or our calling as Christian entrepreneurs is to represent God in the world of business. That's my view. Mm-hmm. And and unless we unless we see that and unless we commit it, then it's not going to work as a kingdom building ambassador type of input into the world where we we would make an impact. And, and I believe that as Christian entrepreneurs, we have a responsibility to the people that pass through our lives, our suppliers, our customers, our employees, the people that we connect with every day, that God has been trying to reach in their private lives through whatever means he's applying. And if we, if we don't stand in the gap for them, and if we don't make ourselves available to pray for them, to, to be able to say something to them if God gives us the opportunity, then we are not functioning, in, in my respectful view, in the purpose to which he's called us. So a lot of what I, I stand for and a lot of what I hope to share is how do we apply biblical purpose, God's kingdom purpose, 
to our financial success. And, and there is a way to do that that works well as because God says as as we as we follow him, as we commit to him, and as we pursue his purpose, he undertakes to bless us and he undertakes to prosper us. And it's part of the whole relationship we have with him as his people doing his job, accomplishing his purpose, that he undertakes to support us. So it's it's all part of the success of the business, Christian business owner. Mm-hmm. Following God's purpose is part of our success. And, you know, it seems like one of the things that fuels kingdom success is uh, the fact that at times we go through different struggles, just like you did when you were working for that company uh, in Trinidad. And this guy was joking with you, but it didn't feel like a joke. And it was a struggle. And then you mentioned also the struggle that happened in 08 when the finances crashed. We had this big downturn and uh, it changed everything. Sometimes these difficult times, and boy, we're back in one of those right now. These difficult times can fuel uh, actions and directions in our lives that God is leading us in. And we have to take advantage of that. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a, a teacher, uh, Dr. Ern Baxter. He is, yes. I think he's passed now, but he, he said, is. and this, uh, this is something that I always stuck with me, that God is more intent on the production of character than on the provision of comforts. Hmm. And, and what that says is that God is at work in our lives to build something in us. He's building character. He's the, the, the full nature and character of Jesus is being formed in us. And sometimes that takes us into the path of adversity. It takes us into the path of difficulty and challenge. And for Christian entrepreneurs, the, the, the source of that is very often our very own businesses. As we struggle as we face difficulty and, and uncertainty and challenges, God is expecting us to lean on him, to reach out to him, to connect with him, to depend upon him. And that has been one of the greatest challenges in my own Christian business life, the, the ability to trust God completely in uncertain times. And it's, it's a part that it's challenging for a guy like me who likes to figure everything out. I can build models, financial models that will project way into the future, but none of that works in real life unless God is there undertaking as you make your plans and as you develop your business. God really has to be the one to open the doors. He's the one that builds the city. And if he does not build the city, it does not get built. Right. And that's, that's what he's trying to get us to to realize as Christian entrepreneurs that we can't run our businesses without him for it to succeed. Now you can, and you may achieve some financial success, but when the winds of change come or when the trials and when the difficulties come, if our faith is not anchored on a rock, if we're not built on that rock, we built on sand, it's going to collapse. And, and the trials of, of what we do as Christian entrepreneurs really, really has us requires us to build a relationship with God as the anchor for our faith and our whole perspective, our optimism, our motivation, the way we address challenges. It's all based on God's relationship with God. That is so well said. I love that whole segment right there. Friends, you could kind of download that segment, and that needs to be a, a kind of a regular thing to visit in our own lives. We need to not build on the sand. We need to build on the rock 
and the Lord leads us that way. I am talking today, Robert Fullerton is my guest. He's here with me from RVF Consulting and also Kingdom Business Builders. We'll be back for one more segment with him. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike. What a fun time this is with Robert Fullerton. Robert's up in Georgia. We're on the line today talking about Kingdom Business. Man, again, uh, your close of segment two was so meaningful. When I think about the kingdom of God and the illustration, the parables that the Lord gave us about making sure that we build upon the rock, and of course the rock there is the rock of the Lord, of Scripture, of God, Uh, that is the way that we can, and really the only way that we can know that what we're doing, how we're building, how we're kind of uh, investing our lives that it's going to be built upon something that is going to stand and something that's going to honor God. People who try to build their own way and for their own purposes or for worldly gain, uh, it never ends well, does it? Yeah. So what, how we focus our lives and, and the whole approach that we take very often impacts the way we deal with challenges and issues and even success when it comes to us and and we our hearts have to be in the right place and our relationship has to be with God so that we can have that consistent approach regardless of whether things are up or down we have a consistent approach and human beings we crave consistency we cra- we crave a certain amount of stability in our lives and very often in an uncertain unstable world the only the only consistency you're going to have is your relationship with God and so We have to learn to tap into him as our source of motivation, our source of inspiration, and that constant assurance, that blessed assurance, because Jesus is our shepherd, and and part of the job of the shepherd is to to reassure the sheep when there are wolves making noises out there. We Mm -hmm. need that that reassurance. And so I, I firmly believe that as we face the challenges of whatever whatever is to come in the next in the months and years ahead the uncertainty we all we each need to have that that assurance and that relationship which is what what anchors us in 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 terms of our own stability that is so true we cannot uh, live our lives with with a hope and a fancy that is not built upon anything that's true and i think we see that regularly with people who are from the outside, uh, there are successes. They've got financial uh, holdings that are through the roof. They should be doing great, but we know that they're not happy. We see this all the time. Money does not in itself bring an, uh, the kind of joy, the kind of peace that people uh, need and want in their lives, but the kingdom living, the kingdom understanding that I believe you're trying to help people and that you are helping uh, to develop in their mindset about their business, that brings peace. When you're doing it, there's a, a a value that the joy of the Lord brings that is really hard to put a price tag on. Yeah, absolutely. And and while a large part of what I do is to help businesses succeed, to generate profit, cash flow, and growth. That's that's how I define business success. If your mm-hmm. business is generating profit, cash flow, and growth, then in my view, it's generating financial success. But at the end of the day, what you say is true, Mike. You know, we can't, money can't be the source of our happiness because then when we have money, we're happy. And when we don't, we're not happy. And, and, and God doesn't want us to live that sort of flip-flop life. 
Um, and, and money really doesn't answer all of our issues. It doesn't really deal with the, the turmoil and the challenges of our hearts and, and the things that we crave on the inside. We crave affection. We crave love. We want, you know, comfort and, and emotional comfort and money just doesn't buy that. If it, uh, if it did, then all of the wealthy people in the world would be super happy and they're not. Many they're of not. them aren't. Yeah. yeah, many aren't. And it doesn't satisfy what are longings in the heart that even after they get it and they have all the money that they could ever use, it doesn't buy them or give them security. It doesn't give them joy. It doesn't give them uh, fulfillment. So often some of the wealthiest people are some of the most unhappy, paranoid people you'll ever see. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I, I, one of the episodes in my podcast, my Kingdom Build, Builds, Kingdom Business Builders podcast, I'm, yeah, I'm tripping over myself here, is on prosperity. Mm-hmm. And, and how I define prosperity is a state of contentment in God where all our needs are met, some of our wants are satisfied, and we have surplus to bless others. And, and that to me is what biblical prosperity is. That's what we are all trying to achieve. Being wealthy is not necessarily being prosperous. You can have all the money in the world and be as miserable as anything because all you're trying to do is to guard that money and it becomes the focus of your life. Oh, that's and well God, said. Yeah. God, God doesn't want us there. He wants us to prosper where we know our needs, needs are met. Some of our wants will be supplied. God is not going to give us everything that we want. And a big part of prosperity is the ability to be a blessing to other people, to use the resources that God has given us, the surplus, not just to spend it on ourselves and to hoard it for our future generations, but to use it to invest in his work, his kingdom building processes, and to bless someone else and to help other people who are in need. And and that really, to me, is true prosperity. That's what we're trying to achieve, even as Christian business owners, even as as we chase after profit to make our businesses profitable. Prosperity is the end game for me. I mean, you've given us a three-point sermon right there. (laughs) <laughs> that, that I love. And I don't know if you've ever talked that, uh, used that as a structure, but all of our needs being met, some of our wants being realized and having a, a surplus left over to bless other people and to share. Uh, that is a powerful look. And you kind of have boiled down a kingdom mindset into those, those three things of trusting God, uh, yet realizing that life is not all about every one of our wants being realized. There, there are a lot of things that I would love to have. I'm not so sure. You know, one of the big, biggest lessons that I learned from talking to a guy one time that was a pilot, and he was offered, a friend of his offered uh, him a helicopter. Now, he was a pilot, but this helicopter was being offered to him just to be given to him. And he prayed about it, and, and he saw through and turned it down. And what he saw through and what he told me was, I realized that if I accepted that helicopter, it could own me and I could devote all of my time and all of my mental, all of my uh, expenditure of energy, everything about me could be wrapped up in that machine. And I don't believe that's God's purpose for my life. And he turned it down. Wow. That, that takes a lot of character to to be offered something like that and say no thanks because God is saying differently. That that takes a lot of character. Yeah, I think he had it. 
And I think that's the kind of uh, understanding that we can really benefit from and, you know, apply that and realize that not all of our wants, that second point that you made, not all of our wants are, are really supposed to be met. Some of those wants could be there out of our flesh. They could be there out of just a motivation that we like, and it's not a part of uh, God's plan for us at all. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that Jesus cautions us about is allowing our hearts to go after things that we want. He, he refers to it as the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we look at the lifestyle of the rich and the famous and we say, wow, it'd be, it would be really nice to have that spectacular home and all of that stuff. And while that may be so, there everything has a price. And sometimes the price that people have to pay to get those things, it, it costs us our relationship with God and our, our sanity sometimes because we become so obsessed with more, yes. with the, the relentless pursuit of more, <clears throat> excuse me, that it takes over our lives. And part of the challenge I had when I was in corporate, when I was a corporate executive, is that that began to creep into my life a bit. Mm-hmm. It became all about profits and results and bonuses and that sort of stuff, which is great. But if you make that the focus of your life, you're going to miss God. I think in a lot of cases, you're going to miss out on things that God really has for you that are, are far more beneficial. Yeah. I just love that verse. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things doesn't mean every one of our wants, but all the things that needed to be added to our lives for us to live in the kingdom of God, God will do. He takes care. He loves us. He gives us the desires of our heart so often, but that does not mean that every single want that we have, he's going to give. And that's what you're saying. And I think that is so helpful, man. Uh, You know, you mentioned a couple of uh, downturns in the economy. One was 08. We know that was predominantly And at least in my memory, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, but one of the biggest areas of 08 was the whole real estate crash and uh, all of the resulting businesses that were affected from real estate. And of course, that has a trickle down effect on so many other businesses. How would you compare to that if, if I'm interpreting that correctly? I know it had to do with banking and uh, mortgages and people, I think a lot of banks gave mortgages back then uh, to people that really didn't qualify, let's say for that kind of a mortgage. And as a result, you had all these short sales and, and really, uh, people losing their homes. It's in foreclosure. It's so sad to think back on that. How do you compare what was going on in 08, 09 to uh, what's happening right now? I think the circumstances are slightly, but not slightly, maybe significantly different. Because in 08, there was an indiscriminate use of debt. A lot of people were being given money, were, were, banks were lending and financial institutions were lending people that had no right borrowing money. And so what happened was that they began to use, we began to use credit cards and debt in a very irresponsible way. And that collapse because we owed a lot of money and then we owned assets that were driven by values that were being created by debt, by people borrow, having the ability to borrow and spend. And so in 08, when the whole thing crashed, there was a significant amount of, of uh, 
a significant amount of flaws, fault built into the whole financial structure. It was mm -hmm. not properly established. We have a slightly different situation now. Not that we are perfect, but because the debt issue has been sort of handled better in this circumstance, people who have issues are not in debt to the extent that we were back in 08. And so when, when the market, particularly the housing market, began to cool a little bit and it heated up initially and then the, the federal government started to increase interest rates as a means of cooling the housing market and bringing inflation under control. What that is going to do is going to affect people's incomes and the prices of, of everyday items are increasing because of inflation. And so we have two things going in the opposite direction at the present moment. There isn't a whole lot of over debt and there isn't a whole lot of indiscriminate use of debt, but what we have now is prices rising and incomes either being held constant or are declining somewhat in real terms. And to me, that's going to be the challenge, not just for households, but for business owners. How do we manage the stagnation of our income or the, the ceilings that we currently have on our income with, in the face of rising input costs, rising um, supplies, cost of supplies and all of that, it's going to have an impact. Impact. It's going to thin the margins of businesses. And I believe we have to be prepared for that. Each one of us as a business owner should be looking into our financial cost structure to determine where we have the ability to make changes that would either improve efficiency. And by improving efficiency, we actually reduce the, the actual or the effective cost of things or reducing, actually reducing in, in dollar terms, the cost of what we're buying and the cost of our inputs in order to protect the margins that we enjoy now because our prices are likely to increase, but our revenues are likely to be held constant, mm -hmm. especially, especially those of us that don't have the ability to increase prices without losing customers. So it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be, it's going to require real work. Um, I suspect that some businesses are not going to survive. Um, and especially those that have thin margins and are basically sub at a subsistence level now, they're going to find themselves in some kind of financial difficulty. And the time to be looking at how do I reorganize myself? How do I make my processes lean and efficient? How do I bring my costs down? The time to be doing that is now because I suspect it's not going to get any better in the next year or two. I think this is something that's going to, the, the economy is going to be like this for, for the next year at least until hopefully the Fed is able to get inflation under control. Well, I hope they do. Robert yeah. Fullerton is my guest, and uh, it's been a great uh, day to have you here. Thank you so much for being on my program. Give us the website for how people can contact you. All right, so you can contact me at Kingdom Business Builders. That's www.kingdom.kingdom-biz.org. Or you can email me at robert at kingdom-biz.org. Thank you so much, Robert. It's been a joy to talk with you. Got to have you back in the future. And thank you again for spending this time with me. And friends, we'll see you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike.